listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. I want to say how much I appreciate Nick being with us and encourage you to pray for uh, he and his wife, Delise, and their family. Uh, Pray especially uh, for them right now, they have a daughter-in-law who is in the hospital great with child, and so that's part of the reason that he's here by himself uh, this morning, and we so appreciate him uh, being with us today and sharing uh, the work that God uh, has done and is doing in their lives and through the ministry to which God has called them. One of the things that uh, I it leaves me mystified uh, is to see how God takes very ordinary people, as Mick said, like Mick, myself, uh, and uses us to do extraordinary things. And it's because we serve an extraordinary God. And I'm just so grateful uh, for that privilege. And so today we're wrapping up our Christmas series, Among Us, in these few moments that we have uh, together. Uh, we've been looking at John's Gospel, Chapter 1, what is uh, known really as the prologue of the Gospel of John. We're going to actually pick it up in the 14th verse today and read down through the 18th verse. But uh, I want to drive a couple of truths home in these final few moments. The record of Christ's first coming, we, we know it as Christmas. We celebrate Christmas, of course. It doesn't get its significance because of its place in a, in a list of various Christmas traditions. I know there are a lot of people uh, all over the world who will maybe uh, do a little addendum to their Christmas celebration, and because it's traditional, they'll break out an old family Bible and maybe read the Christmas story and that kind of thing. That's a great thing to do. Uh, but, but I need you to understand this morning as we, as we wrap up this Christmas series that, that the incarnation and the celebration of Christ coming in the flesh is really so much more significant than that. We must continually call our hearts to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Solid, real, substantial, true, and unlike almost all uh, of the other aspects of our Christmas celebrations, as treasured as they may be, Jesus Christ is real. His coming is not simply a beautiful story, like some sort of a Hallmark movie. It is the pivot of history. It is the very axis upon which the destiny of every human soul turns. And if Jesus Christ is just one in a long list of cast members, Christmas characters in the romance of a Christmas story, then we have exchanged what God's Word tells us is the indescribable precious gift of God's Son, the incarnation of the God-man. We've exchanged that for a cheap imitation, which, like many uh, Christmas toys is soon set aside when the latest thing catches our eye. So to help us with that, we return once again to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John begins his prologue uh, to, uh, it brings his his prologue really to a climax, kind of a crescendo with uh, these few verses that we're going to focus our attention on here this morning. And he offers us three things that will anchor our faith in something more than just sentiment. And so let's pick it up in verse 14 together. I hope that you'll follow along as I read. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And then parenthetically, the Apostle John writes of the ministry of John the Baptist, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. One of the things that we've looked at was the eternality of Jesus Christ here. His beginning was not really at Christmas. He became flesh at Christmas. He goes on to say, For from his fullness we have all received, and I love this, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So I want us to first notice uh, John's reference to the identity of Jesus. Jesus' identity, who he is. And if you look at verse 14 and verse 18, kind of together they bracket our text this morning, you will see that the Apostle John tells us about uh, Christ's identity in two very distinctly and yet complementary ways. In verse 14, he talks about uh, Jesus' true humanity, while in verse 18, uh, the accent there kind of falls on the perfect deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have in the person of Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. And so let's talk for a moment about Jesus' true humanity. It's a staggering statement. We could, we could stop here and really spend the rest of our time and the rest of this next week and into the new year just even beginning to comprehend the depths of, uh, of those words. The Word became flesh. John's point isn't simply that the coming of Jesus meant that he took the appearance of humanity. No, he became flesh. He became one of us. He didn't simply put on a body like some sort of a, a set of clothes. You know, human nature was not some superficial addition to his uh, essential self. No, when Jesus was born, the person who was and remained still the eternal Word, the only begotten Son of the Father, filling the universe, upholding it by the power of His Word, as we've seen here, this one was the same one who was held helpless and vulnerable and completely dependent, cradled in the arms of the Virgin Mary. Donald McLeod put it this way. He said at the most basic level, the incarnation means that Christ took a, hu a true human body, the same in all essential respects as our own. It grew, he says, from zygote to fetus to infant child to adolescent to man. In fact, in Luke here, uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, verse 52, I think it's the last verse of that second chapter of Luke, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew from a baby to a young child to an adolescent to a teenager to an adult. So he takes on human flesh that experienced hunger and thirst and weariness and pain and seeing and hearing and flogging and crucifixion and death and burial. The Word became flesh. But I also want us to look at verse 18 and see the perfect deity that is Jesus Christ. The text here says, no one has ever seen God. Who is at the Father's right side? He has made Him known. Jesus is God. The only begotten Son of the Father. We were all born physically as a result of the, the union of our parents. Begotten spiritually, if we are Christians, in the new birth by the, by the Word and by the, by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ is begotten eternally in the fellowship of the Trinity. Triune God. He is the Son, John says, who has always lived 
at the Father's side, heart to heart with the Father and with the Spirit in being and in essence and in nature, one, one God, three persons, one in love and fellowship and delight, divine. And of course, verses 14 and 18 are speaking about the same person, aren't they? Truly man in the full array of humanity, yet fully almighty, uh, omnipotent God, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being and wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. Jesus Christ. John's point is that Jesus is the Lord of glory. His point is that the virgin's child is the only begotten God. The crucified Jew is the sovereign Jehovah. The God whom we worship is Jesus Christ. We don't merely admire him as a great man or a great teacher or a great revolutionary religious leader. He is the God-man. Jesus' identity. Then I want you to notice he speaks of Jesus' historicity. It's a, it's a theme that the text emphasizes, again, really in two ways. Verse, uh, verse 15, coming back again to the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel uh, wants to highlight the historical stage onto which the miracle of the incarnation exploded. It took place in real time, in a real place, among real people. Uh, some of you, like me, you've actually been to Bethlehem to the place of Christ's incarnation, the birthplace. Now, there is a place that the tour guides will take you. Uh, it's a, kind of a weird place. In fact, it was uh, one of the places that I would say of all the places I've visited in the Holy Land, it was the place that I, I, I liked the least because of its commercialization and some of the things that you see there. We don't really know the exact place in which Jesus was born and so forth, but, but we do know that Bethlehem is an actual historical city. It's a real place. Jesus came in into a real place among real people. And you can imagine John saying these words recorded of him here, pointing to Jesus as he's literally in the flesh, standing there, bearing witness to the fact of him. This is him. This is him right here. And so if, if, if verse 14 and verse 18 tell us about the coming of Jesus from kind of a, a 30,000 foot view, the, the, the God-man, here's his identity. Verse 15 talks about the coming of Jesus Christ from the perspective of someone with, with boots or sandals on the ground, we would say. He's recounting its occurrence like it's breaking news. This is he. He's the one of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This is the one. Here he is. This is breaking news. Early in my ministry, I was still a student. I was still doing seminary, and I was working on a Christian radio station in Ohio at the time. And we would sometimes be sent out on what uh, they call an actuality. So if there was an accident or an event or something like that, they wanted someone actually there on the scene. And so I was, I was told I needed to go to the scene of, uh, of an explosion. We had an explosion that rocked the community there. And... Um, no one really knew the details of what was going on. We later found out that this was a guy who had been dealing in illegal fireworks and apparently had huge barrels of gunpowder in his basement, if you can imagine. And it, it later came out that he had mafia connections and so forth. Well, he had a really bad day. Let's just put it that way. And um, I, I went down there expecting to see a house that was burnt, maybe still smoldering and things like that. But what I found instead was a house that was gone. 
I'm talking gone. No more house. What was there was a hole in the ground. It was the basement. And so as I'm on the air, I'm trying to describe the scene. And of course, when you're on radio, you don't have the benefit of video and all those sorts of things. And so you're trying to use uh, and communicate in a way that people can picture it in their mind's eye. And so I'm talking about a toaster that I saw up in this tree. And over here, I saw a little girl's baby doll hanging in the tree. And I'm, I'm describing all of this. It's just breaking news. That's kind of how it was for John the Baptist. John the Baptist had the privilege and the joy of, of doing an actuality. This one that I've been talking about, so check this out. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. You can, you can actually see him. God come in the flesh. He is the central figure of global history. The coming of Jesus Christ is real and true. It's a fact of history that can be plotted on a timeline with all of the other significant historical events that may come to your mind this morning. The birth of Jesus Christ, it's what divides time, right? It is truth. That means that the Christian faith is irreducibly historical and therefore cannot be dismissed from the public sphere, sphere into the realm of just the private or the subjective. God Almighty took flesh and stood on the streets of Palestine, and it is a fact that demands that it be reckoned with, uh, reckoned with, with by everyone, everywhere. We preach Him to all, not because it's something that works for me, and maybe there's a good chance that it will work for you too. Now, when Mick was talking about sharing the gospel with that man on the plane, it wasn't as if he was sharing about some kind of a, uh, you know, a business opportunity or something. You know, it's worked for me. It's allowed me to, to make a significant amount of Maybe it'll work for you. It's not like that. We're, we're talking about living truth. And so it, it's not this thing of, well, it's true for me. It, it, it may, may be true for you. No, no. We're talking about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's true for me. It's true for my neighbor. It's true for you. It's true for your neighbor. It's true for the guy down the street. It's true if you're white. It's true if you're black. It's true if you were born a Muslim living in Riyadh or a Taoist living in Japan, or an Episcopalian living in New York. It's true in Sudan, and it's true in Van Alstine, Texas. It's true for me, and it's true for you. The global fact of the incarnation, and the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and the reign of Jesus Christ compels us to tell the world because it is a world-changing, life-transforming truth. So Jesus Christ is the central figure of history, but not only that, of biblical history. Again, one of the reasons that we use the descriptors that we strive to be a church family that is biblically based and Christ-centered is because foundationally we believe that the Bible is the foundation of our faith. It's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And with that, we believe that Jesus Christ is the central figure of Scripture. And you see Jesus from the earliest pages of Scripture there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, with the first mention of the gospel. We see it from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. All these things pointing to Jesus Christ and who He is and why He came. And so in light of that, in verse number 17, it's clear that John means that the grace that came through Moses, giving way to its fulfillment in the grace that comes in the new covenant by Jesus Christ. He says the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, what Moses promised, Jesus performed. What Moses typified, Jesus exemplified. 
What Moses taught, Jesus embodied. The point is, Jesus is the central figure of biblical history, so that not only must you know him if you were to make sense of your world, but you must also understand the significance of who he is as it relates to Scripture itself. There's this this ribbon of redemption that runs throughout the pages of Scripture. It is Jesus Christ, the burden of the whole Bible, the grace of the old covenant, the grace of the new, the burden of the whole Bible is found really essentially in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ shines on every page. Grace upon grace for you in the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. That's John's point. Central in history, central to Scripture. But in these final few moments, I want us to consider Jesus' mission. What he came to do. What he came to do. Did he come just to make the world a better place? To just make fundamentally good people better people? I don't think so. Why did he come? What did he come to do? What's the big deal that the God-man stepped into the world? And though we can't get to God in our own righteousness... The beauty of the gospel this morning is that in Christ, God has come to us, all the way down to us. It's what sets biblical Christianity apart from all of the other world religions. They would all say that we've got to do something in an an effort to get to God. I've got to be good enough. I've got to do more good than I do bad, all in hopes that I can somehow, some way, get to God. The biblical gospel says God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the fundamental truth is this. It it may be a bit offensive to you this morning, but even on your best day, you can't be good enough. And the same thing is true for me. But God, in His mercy, in His grace, as a demonstration of His great love for us, it says in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place. Scripture says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to to dwell among us. The Word is tabernacle among us. We've talked about that a little bit over the last couple of weeks. He he literally pitched his tent among us, we would say. It's the word that is used uh, in the Old Testament of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and later the temple where God met with the people of Israel. His glory was shining and atonement and sacrifice and the priesthood was provided for the people of God. And John is saying to us that there is still a tent of meeting whose doors are open to all who would know God. It is now Jesus Christ. He is the one place where God has come down, available, accessible uh, in Him to you and to me. You can't get to Him No logic of yours, no good deeds on your part will bring you to God and reconcile you to holy God as a simple human being. The good news of the gospel is that God has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ, and there you can know Him. So what John's telling us here is that we can see God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're told here that though we cannot see God in Christ... God makes himself known. If you look at verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
He has made him known. Skip Ryan tells the, the story of a mom whose daughter was busy drawing uh, a picture one afternoon. And when she asked her what she was drawing, the little girl replied that she was drawing a picture of God. Well, the mom was naturally intrigued by that and tried to very uh, tactfully, very delicately say to her, her sweet daughter, well, sweetheart, no one really knows what God looks like. Kind of saying, that's really kind of impossible. To which the little girl came back with this, well, they will when I get finished. <laughs> you ever wonder that? We, we, we can't see, we can't draw him. No, God doesn't look like anything. I, I know some people have this mental image of a grandfatherly type with a long white beard and he's doting on his grandchildren and, you know, here, just have it. one more chocolate chip cookie. You know, that's kind of the prosperity gospel. Oh. God doesn't look like anything. No one has ever seen God, but we can know him because God, the only begotten in the person of Jesus Christ, has made him known. The word that John uses is the word from which we get our word exegesis. It's, it's fundamentally biblical interpretation. It's drawing from the text what God is saying to us through his word. Jesus is the exegesis of the Father. He's the, he's the exposition of the heart of God. In Jesus Christ, the heart and the character of God beating with love for us has been made known. You want to know what God is like? You want to know God? You may meet Him for yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ that you can trace the contours of His character. When you study scripture, you come across all these character traits that are perfectly personified in the person of Jesus Christ. You look at the fruit of the Spirit and you think, well, where do I see an example? You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. You can see them all in his Son. And so you learn to discern the shape of the heart of the Father for you in the Rabbi of Galilee, in the one crucified at Golgotha, in the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold your God with nail marks in his hands and feet. The word made flesh. And as you take in the wonder of it all, you celebrate the Christ of Christmas, and I hope that you, that you do and that you are. Won't you bow your knee to him? Won't you turn from your spiritual bankruptcy as good as you may think you've, you've done to the only one who can reconcile us to holy God. So with that, if we could bow our heads for just a moment as we come to a time of decision. I love all the different ways, the different uh, traditions, we might say, of celebrating Christmas. We can always feel like one of the saddest things about this season are the number of people all over the world, some living right here in Van Alstine, who will celebrate Christmas and yet don't know Christ. They maybe know of Him. They're familiar with Him in the sense that they've, that they've, they've studied Him maybe even as a historical figure. But they can't say that they truly know Him as Savior and Lord. If you're here today, maybe you're watching online and you can't point to a time in your life where you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, the invitation today is really simple. I invite you to take that step of faith. There's not a 
particular prayer that you have to have memorized. You don't have to use big theological words. It's a simple expression to God, acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you desire by faith to be reconciled as a sinful human being to holy God. And you recognize the only way that that is possible is through Jesus Christ. If that's you today, maybe you would like to know more. Maybe you would like to have someone sit down and show you from Scripture how you can know that you're in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not based upon anything you have done or ever could do. It's based entirely upon what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. We'd love to have that conversation. We'd love to pray with you. love to show you from God's Word what it means to be born again, to be made alive spiritually. And so, Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that we celebrate in this season. Lord, I thank you for the provision that you have made in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, making it possible for sinful human beings like me to be reconciled to holy God. Or if there's anyone here today, anyone watching with us online who's never taken that step of faith, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word, they be drawn to you today. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.